This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peaslin, and I thank you for joining me today. And I hope you will call me as well because you drive the show. This is a financial show. We talk about anything financial. And when you call, we talk about that. I try to answer any questions as best I can. I will tell you if I don't know the answer and, you know, or it's out of my, my area. And I'll be, you know, I'm trying not to try not to just talk about things I don't really know what I'm talking about. I try to stay away from that. And our goal here, of course, is for everybody to achieve financial freedom by growing their money, saving their money, investing their money smartly. That's what we're doing. And I'm going to do it with my own as well. I've been doing it for years and years and years, so I want to help you do it for you. Okay? So today, we're going to get on that path. That's our path that we're going to we're shooting for, that financial freedom path. And, you know, it's not impossible one of the first things you do is make sure you're you're not in debt get rid of debt get rid of the expensive debt first you know that's the one way you can uh, you know move toward the right path now what's expensive debt and you know would it be better to to invest in a 401k if they're matching your funds than paying off your debt i mean there's all that gray area we can talk about and there is gray area but that's what we're here for. Our number is 888-99-CHART. And if you live anywhere in the New York area, New York and New Jersey, I used to live in New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey for, what, in eight, nine years? My first job out of college was in Manhattan. So, uh, and I was graduating college here in the West Coast in California. But my first real job out of college was in New York, Manhattan. It was kind of fun. Scary and fun at the same time. Because I knew nobody in New York. And I moved there. So, um, I'll be back in Manhattan, September 19th and 20th. I'm bringing my wife. We're going to do a little sightseeing. We're going to watch the Angels-Yankees game because we are big Angels fans out here. And uh, so, it'll be fun to, to watch the game. But we're going to do some other things. But I'm spending two full days taking uh, talking to people about their portfolio. So, if you want to sit down with me, I'll be there. And it looks like I'm going to have to make another return trip because the, the time slots are filling up pretty darn fast. So, Anyways, so we'll do no cost portfolio reviews in New Manhattan. But you do have to register. You go to investtalk.com and you hold a spot. You get a spot, a tie slot. And there are few left, just a very few. Okay, my main talking point today concerns a story about baby boomers, how baby boomer household wealth is 12 times greater than millennials' wealth. Housing costs, debt, and the Great Recession of 2008 are the blame. Now, of course, it's going to be higher because baby boomers are much older, but it seems to be much higher than in the same period when the baby boomers were the millennials' age. You see, so that's what that's a talking point. I've got some other talking points we're going to discuss. How about um, how about is the bond market in a bubble? How do you define a bubble, and is it? 
We'll talk about that. Why investors should be optimistic. Not pessimistic, optimistic. I love it when, when uh, you know, people think the market is going to crash, it's going to fall apart, oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to give you some reasons why you should be optimistic. And finally, a Danish bank is offering mortgages with a negative interest rate. Mortgages with a negative interest rate. How in the heck does that work? In other words, the bank, you're going to borrow money to buy a house and and. And from a Danish bank, and they, you don't have to pay all the money back. <laughs> so how does that work? So we're going to we're going to touch on that. Could that happen here in the United States? Oh, it could. That's not likely, but it could. So that's interesting. But now let's go ahead and take a question from our anytime anytime listener line number eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. Hi, Steve. My name is Rob, and I'm from. Oviedo, Florida. I just got a quick question. I work for a post office, and right now I've got my retirement in a thrift savings life cycle fund. I just wanted to know, would it be better if I were to move my money over into the C fund, the S&P 500 fund? Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it for your advice, and thank you. If you're a long-term, if you still have lots of years left, yes, it would be. Um, I don't like the life cycle target-dated funds because they ignore reality uh, as far as interest rates and everything. So I, I just don't like them because you can't tell what's happening, what's doing. And the S&P 500, over any length of time, it will return you between 7 and 10% per year on average, including dividends. And you don't have a lot of choices when you know when when we're talking about government. Uh, I think they're four or three Bs, but they have C shares and I shares and S shares, and these are different types of share groups of investments. Uh, and they only have like five of them. And um, the one with the S and P five hundred is probably the better long term. If you're retiring in five years, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't take that much risk. But if it's longer than that, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely do it. Market's a little bit pricey right now. But, man, you could have said that two, three years ago. You could have said that four or five years ago. Market, market, the market is pricey and it has been pricey. And it could continue to be pricey. I don't know. But, you know, I think long-term you will be better off in the S&P 500. Let's go to Jay in Oceanside. Hi, Jay. How you doing? I had my first kid about a month ago, and I'm asking you uh, what's the best way to start putting away uh, money for his college. There are several ways you do it. Two uh, of the most popular are 529 plans. Have you heard of them, Jay? Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of the research, and I was basically asking, you know, is it, would you go with the 529? And if you did go with the 529, what can you recommend what state to go through? I know that Illinois has a very good one. Okay. Only way I know that, Jay, is people tell me. Okay. Um, I haven't done the research on it to say, yeah, that's a very good one. But I know a lot of people pick Illinois because it gives you a lot of freedom to pick your own investments. What I've found out so far, it's either freedom with a couple, you know, a little bit more percentage taken out of it for fees or it's right. hardly any choices but very cheap yeah more restrictive cheap freedom uh more expensive that would be normal but then you also have the cover dell have you looked into that um yeah it was hard for me to figure out the exact difference between okay. the two. let me tell you cover dell is an ira for your child okay 
and I think it's $2,000 is the maximum you can put in that. A 529 plan, you can put a lot more money away. But the 529 plan is only for accredited college only. A Coverdell can be used for private elementary school or high school, or it can be used for truck driving school. doesn't have to be used for accredited college only. Okay. okay, so any type of, like, training school, basically. Yes. Now, do you plan on having more children, Jay? Uh, yes. The 529 and the Coverdell can be rolled over to another child. So let's say the first child doesn't spend the money or doesn't go to school. You can roll that over to the next child, and both of them have that. And a Coverdell, you can invest it anywhere you want to. So okay? use individual stocks and things like that? That's right. You uh-huh. can do that. You can go to Fidelity or Schwab or some of the other big houses, that um, Barrister. Most of them offer Coverdells because they think you're going to continue to invest in it. Are they taxed the same way where you don't have to pay the taxes once it's invested? Yes. Okay. So that's your choice. You can put more money away in a 529. you got to pick a state because it's all 529s are state-sponsored. Some states are restrictive. Some states are less restrictive. The less restrictive costs more money. The more restrictive costs less money, but you get choice. Right. A Coverdell is only $2,000 a year. They'll probably bump it over the years up, but that's not a lot. But that may be what you can afford, and maybe that's all you want to do. Yeah, but you have more freedom. You can put it anywhere, and you can spend it on any education. Do you know the penalties on the Coverdell if, if you take it out and don't use it for any type of training? It's usually uh, 10%. Okay. That, that's the common penalty that's, out there. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the call. Bye. I'm Steve Peasley, and you're listening to Invest Talk, and I encourage you to consider subscribing to the KPP Premium Newsletter. I write it every Friday, and it's distributed every Friday, and you'll get a bunch of information, pretty valuable, I think, to you, in market, analy- market, analy- market analysis, <laughs> portfolio management section, a stock ideas section, a consumer watch section. It's about three or four pages. And each Friday, each Friday on Invest Talk, I share highlights of the newsletter. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. You can subscribe anytime on investtalk.com. And now I'm ready for to take your questions at 888-99 chart. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART is our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to John in the Bay Area. How you doing, John? Pretty good, pretty good, Steve. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Hey, I've got a 403B from a former employer sitting in cash right now. I was uh, getting ready to go through the steps and convert it mm-hmm. and move it into an IRA. Any thoughts on which way to, to push how, it? How uh, old are you, John? 44. Okay, well, you're going to need to be in the market. You're too young not to be in the market. So, right, I got a 401k as well, but this thing has been sitting around, and I, you know, with all that's been going on in the last couple of years, I just let it sit there and, uh, you know, Convert right. to an IRA, put some in international exposure, some in emerging market exposure, and then some, uh, more a majority of it in American growing companies. You know, uh-huh. uh, growth. Uh, you could use funds or ETFs. Uh, if you're going to use funds, make sure it's small, mid, or, or large cap growth funds, and make sure you have some foreign exposure. Dividends are important okay. as well. So spread it around, John. Don't put it all in any you know one thing. 
don't spread it to a hundred different things, but spread it around enough that you get a good exposure through various sectors of the market. And don't forget okay. that foreign exposure because long term, that's where the growth is going to come from. Okay. Call me if you want more details. I'll be happy to give them to you. Great. Thank you very much. John, appreciate the call. Thank you. Okay, let's go to Max in Fremont. How you doing, Max? I'm doing great. I was wondering if you had a guidelines or some kind of rules that you use to place stops or your stop limits. When yeah, you have I a do. Stock. The hardest thing to learn, Max, in this business is how to sell. And that's what you're talking about, right? Right, exactly. For everybody else, when he talks about stock limits, he's talking about stop losses, when to get out of a stock. Do I put an automatic thing in there and then sell at a certain price? It's very difficult, Max, to say, always do this. When I hear that from somebody, well, always sell when it's at an 8% or 10% pullback. I always say, well, you know, that's not necessarily the right thing. Sometimes it should be quicker and sometimes it should be longer. You know, it depends on the stock. For instance... Max, if a stock has run up really steep on a chart, like at a 45-degree angle or steeper, I put a trend line. I get much tighter in my stop. If the stock has run up very slowly over a year period, just slowly gone up, I give it more room. Yeah. So depends. Also, Max, always put a value on the stock where you think it's worth. And if it gets to that value, put in a very tight stop because it's gone to what you think it was going to go to. Unless you reevaluate it again and then you have it and it's higher still. The thing is, I, I buy, a, I've kind of been sold on those ETFs. Yes. I don't know if ETFs really have a target, do they? Or No, they don't because they're right. a basket of stocks. On an ETF, Max, the best kind of thing you can do is go to charts and just try to learn the charts. Because remember, they represent a certain sector or a country or whatever. And if that sector starts to go down, they'll break the trend line. So like the 200-day trend line going, 200-day moving average. Sure, going up. sure. Use your trend lines. That's the best you can do on an ETF, in my opinion. Thank you. Appreciate okay. the call. You listen to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. And let me remind you that the Invest Talk radio program and its podcast replays provide a daily dose of market news with our unbiased comment. And commentary. And we have a fairly new offering, Invest Talk Academy. It's an online training class covering a wide variety of financial investment subjects, and we do it in depth. You can learn more at investtalkacademy.com, and I want to hear from you. We are headed into the break, and I'm taking your investment questions now. 888-99-CHART. to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 CHART and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey guys, this is Jason calling out of Salt Lake. Big fan of the podcast. You guys do an amazing job. Um, I'm just sitting here listening to the radio and they're talking about headed towards lows of the year. And I'm thinking it might be a good time to jump in the market, but I'd like some direction as to when might be the most opportune time or how do you gauge when is the best opportune time to put your money in there. Thanks, man. I'll hear your message off the air. Appreciate you guys. Bye. Okay, the best time to invest in the market is in the depths of a recession. Now, the problem is, is what is the depth of a reception? Recession. How deep is that? 
And so no one really knows when, if, how deep, how long. We don't know those things. We do know that we'll have another recession. We do know that we have corrections along the way. Now, so let's be practical. I would say that the next time the market goes down 10%, start investing in the market. It goes down more, invest more. It goes down more, invest more. You just keep investing. But if you're not in the market, best time to do invest is when there's a correction because the market has always, always had an upside bias to it, always. So when it gives you times where there's it's cheap, it's like buying stocks on sales, like going to the store. You buy clothes on when they're on sale, don't you? Don't you buy things on sale at the grocery store or any store? And Amazon? I mean, Black Friday, Black Monday, uh, you, know, you wait to sales. Why wouldn't you not do the same thing with the stock market? Most people don't, you know. When the market goes on sale, they run away from it instead of running to it. So the best time is the depth of reception. And then what you can do is wait for corrections and a normal correction is about 10%. And we're not quite there. We did not make 10% yet. And if we go into recession, the market will go down 30%, I think. Last recession was pretty deep, went down 50%. Best time to buy it when it was at 50% down. But how many people did not buy it? Or did not be patient enough and got scared and got out? A lot of people. Got a question for Steve or Justin? You're the best person to ask it at 888-99-CHART. Now's the best time. My main talking point today concerns this story. Why baby boomers' household wealth is twelve is now 12 times greater than the millennials. Why is that? And it's not hard to understand. Of course, when you're older, you're going to have more money than when you're younger. That's not what it's ta- what this article that I was reading is talking about. It's talking about why it's 12 times more when that is normally not that much. It's usually seven or eight times more. And they quote you know, the millennials. Got to remember their age. What happened at their prime time out of college, just out of college, starting their careers? What happened? The Great Recession happened. So these baby boomers, these millennials, didn't invest. Didn't invest, put the money back into the market. They they were slow, but they also have huge debt. Student loans. That baby boomers didn't have that. So they have reasons why they're behind. This is the main reasons why they're behind. They didn't stay in the market or didn't invest in the market because they were scared. As their careers started to, you know, blossom after the years of the Great Recession, and they had debt. That's one of the reasons why their household formation has been slow in the millennial generation, because they've been waiting to pay off some of that debt before they start families and buying a house and doing all those things. That's why. Now, just so you know, um, the wealth in the baby boomers in 1998 was about $747,000 for people aged 52 to 70. This is 1998. Now, remember, $740,000? Now it's $1.2 million. Remember, we're talking about wealth, not cash, not in their investment accounts. Most of that wealth is in their home. Okay? Meanwhile, Meanwhile, back then, the the younger generation people, 
they only had uh, 103,000. So the baby boomers went from like 750,000 to 1.2 million, whereas the younger generation, the millennials, went from 103,000 to 108,000. Hmm, not very good. Anyways, so they got to pay off debt. They got to start saving more money for retirement. They got to get on the ball here because now those those millennials are in their 30s, early 30s. Mid thirties, they got to start getting get on the ball. It's as simple as that. The, you know, every generation has its own struggles. I mean, what's really been nice is, you know, the, the baby boomer, the millennial generation, didn't have a war to deal with like World War One, World War Two, Korean War, the Vietnam War. All those generations dealt with the war. Millennials did not have any kind of war they had to deal with. Yeah, so that that means that I'm not sure how that affects them. Yeah, but I do think it. I think do think that there is a big effect on people's psyche when they go through something traumatic like that. We'll see. On tomorrow's invest talk, what a tariff delay delay might mean for investors who are nervous about escalating tensions between the U.S. and China. Remember, announced today they were delaying Trump's administration delaying some tariffs on some goods. Okay? And when we get back on the market, I got a trivia question. You might be an investor in Ford, GM, Toyota, but of the vehicles built in the United States, which one is the most American-made vehicle? Meaning parts and sourced numbers, U.S. factory workers assembling. Which ones? Most American-made vehicles. 888-99-CHART. Numbers are elusive. Is it only a maximum of 7,000 total between the two accounts? They're always changing. And shot up to about 380 at one point. I got in about 291. On InvestDoc, the focus is on numbers that affect our listeners. It's about 5% of my overall portfolio. InvestTalk listeners know it's all about the numbers. As far as I remember, you only have 60 days to complete a rollover from a 401k into another retirement vehicle. So the questions keep coming. I've got a question about insider trading. From every part of America. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is G from Philly. 24-7. Hi, this is Jen from Portland, Oregon. Using years of experience, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein analyze the complex patterns in those numbers and do their very best to decipher the potential meanings. Thanks a lot, guys. InvestTalk.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-992-4278. I have the answer to my question. Remember, I asked before the break, what is the most American American-made cars? What is the most American American-made cars? Okay, the majority of U.S. customers are eager to purchase American-made. 61% of those aged 18 to 34 listed as a concern. But the bulk of the top 15, car man, car 15 vehicles in the United States are not American-made. Now, the number one is Jeep Cherokee. Number one. And you say, well, 
Yeah, it's Jeep. It's an American car. Nope, it's not really. It's owned by uh, who's the company that owned it? Fiat Chrysler is who owns, who makes, who owns Jeep, the Jeep franchise. Fiat Chrysler. So, Fiat company. It's out of Italy. Then there's that's number one. Number two is Honda Odyssey, the Honda Ridgeline, the Honda Passport. Those are one through four. Then Chevrolet Corvette, number five. Acura, MDX, Honda Pilot, Chevrolet Colorado, GMC Canyon, Acura RDX, Chevrolet Caramaro, Toyota Avalon, Ford F-150 Pickup, Honda Accord, and Toyota Tundra. Those top 15. Notice how many foreign cars are made. Because there's a lot of foreign factories here now. That's one of the reasons. A lot of foreign factories have been moving here and for you know a decade or two. Cars because they're here closer to their customers. So that's that's why a lot of these foreign made cars have a lot of American made in them. So when you want to buy an American made car, it's almost impossible. It really is, because you know now you can know that GM and Ford are domestic corporations here in the United States, but their cars, you know, made all over the world. Just like Toyota and everybody else, their cars are made all over the world. So just realize that that's the reality of this situation. 888-99-CHARTER is our number. Is the bond market in a bubble? You know how we always want to look for bubbles? What's the bubble? Remember the last big bubble we had was in the housing market and it blew up and that blew up the financial system and we were thrown into big, deep recession. So the question is, our bond market in a bubble? And But you have to, well, you have to dissect that. What What is a bubble? What makes up a bubble? Here's four things that you could, that kind of make up a bubble. Is cheap money pushing it? Whatever asset it is, is it pushing up or down? Is cheap money pushing it up or down? Is there is is there debt or taking on debt pushing the asset class up or down? Is the asset expensive or out of the norm? And can you and can you explain it away like it's okay? You can explain why it's this way. Now let's apply those things to the debt market. To our treasury, 30-year treasury. What's our 30-year treasury? Paying, what is it paying? Paying 2.13% for 30 years. The 10 years, 1.75, and the 2 years, 1.63. That is cheap, right? So it meets the number one criteria. Is there debt taking on pushing it? No, no, that's not pushing it. People are not taking on debt to buy treasuries. Not borrowing. That's not. Is the asset expensive? Well, heck yeah, because it's been their yields pushed been pushed down so much that it's made those bonds go up very high in price. So I would consider that expensive. Can you explain away? Yeah, everybody explains away. Well, the world economy is you know slowing down, and therefore uh, you know interest rates are coming down, and negative rates in certain parts of the world, and. So you can't explain it away. Remember, that's that's a that's so. There's three of these four criteria fit. So are we in a bubble? Maybe we are. Maybe we are. Let's keep the momentum moving, everybody. Eight 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 ninety nine charters our number. Love to talk to you. 
Uh, I'm Steve Peasley, and you're listening to Invest Talk. So, I think it's pretty safe to assume that you're pretty serious about your investing and your money and you know what to do with it, your growth of your wealth. We all are probably, but if you're listening to the show, I know you are because that's what the show is about: growing, growing your wealth, and you know, uh, making money, right? So, you know, to do that. You have to you have you have to understand how much risk you're taking. There's fear and greed. The only two emotions that matter anything in the market. You have to understand your risk tolerance, your personal risk tolerance, how much risk you're willing to take. How how much pain can you take when your values of your assets go down? How much uh, you know? How much how much pain you want to take when it goes down, and how much risk you want to take? So engage in how much it'll go up. So. Without that kind of knowledge, you can fear and greed could make decisions for you, and you you lose all rationality. You make irrational decisions. Well, we have a tool called Riskalyze on our website to try to measure your risk tolerance. It great. It's a very short questionnaire from zero, uh, and it grades your risk tolerance from zero to 100, 80 being the risk of the S and P 500. And then we can put you can put your portfolio in, and it will it, it scores that as well, and just to make sure you're matching up your personal risk tolerance with how you're investing. Some people are taking a lot more risk than they're comfortable with. Some people are taking much less risk than they're comfortable with, and that's what this is all about. Go to investtalk.com, take the risk questionnaire. Now, time for your calls. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's go to talk to Sean in San Jose. How are you doing, Sean? My wife and I are business owners of a small business located in the uh, Bay Area here. And we're looking to get her set up with an initial retirement account of some sort. We need to get some advice on taking that route. Uh, you know, If we're able to do it through a local bank or a suggested institution, I'd like to get some feedback from you on that. You probably do a SEP IRA, SEP. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. And you can also do now what's called an individual 401k, but that's harder, a little bit harder to set up, an individual 401k, you know, or, but I, I would probably suggest a SEP. Is it just you and your wife or is there employees? Correct. It's just myself and my wife and the rest of the folks that work there are contract workers. Okay. So then a SEP would probably be the first step. You could put like fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 away, you know, and if you want to do more than that, then you're going to have to get a little bit more sophisticated. And it would be my suggestion that if you're going to do a SEP IRA, it's just like open up a regular IRA. You just go to like a Schwab or E-Trade or whatever, you, whatever you're comfortable with and okay. just open it up. Almost anywhere, Fidelity, Vanguard, anywhere you want. And you say, I okay, want to set up a it. SEP IRA. Okay, now you said fifteen to 16000 Is that an annual contribution yes. or is that over the... Okay, got it. Yes. And what could that? What would I typically look to, or a minimum that I would have to be able to contribute, and what would that frequency be? There is no minimum, just a maximum. You okay. could put a thousand in this year. That's all you because you didn't make any money. You could put in zero next year because you didn't make any money. Third year you made a ton of money. You could put fifteen thousand in that year. Great, great. Okay. And can you tell us on how aggressive? I'm not sure if you can do the calculation. Uh, she's approximately 30 years of age right now. Uh-huh. I mean, how aggressive should we be getting to putting this thing away, you know, with rough calculations? You should be as aggressive as you can in the early years, but usually it's a conundrum because in the early years you're not making a lot of money. You know, but right. really the more advantage to you is to put as much as you can early on, and therefore it has more years to grow. 
that's the smartest thing to do. But sometimes it's impossible to do because you don't make a lot of money, you know. But, you know, you should be as aggressive as you can without having a miserable life. How's that? <laughs> you know? Certainly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Going to the default contributions, should we probably just spread it across between low risk, medium risk, and high risk? No. You probably should be in mostly high risk because you're so young. And again, that's a personality thing. If you guys are very, very, very conservative and kind of worry warts, if you're that kind of, yeah. that's your nature. And I'm not saying that as a negative thing. I'm just stating a fact. If you're the type of person that worries, then you probably won't be at, want to be as aggressive. But at age 30 or in your 30s, you really should be aggressive because you got lots and lots of years. Great. Thanks for the insight. I do appreciate it. Thanks for the Have call, Sean. Thank you very much. Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is Invest Talk. 888-992-4278. Okay, why should investors be optimistic? I mean, we got lots to worry about, right? You got the trade war with China. You got a recession fears all around the world. You got the Hong Kong thing coming up on the news now, even though it's been around for a long time. Well, how about this? We have pretty good relative earnings. The earnings were much better this last quarter than was expected. Pretty good, not great. We have a super strong job market here in the United States. The EU and other parts of the world are already easing money again to some degree or another. Now, the stock market is fairly high, the market itself, but it's not an extreme or anything. The P is like 18 and the average is like 15, and that's current, not based on the future earnings. So there are reasons to be optimistic. If, there, if the world is already uh, uh, lowering interest rates, that means that they're, they're already trying to make an effort to stem any recession. And there was there is no huge um, reason why there should be a deep recession. There is no, you know, oh, we're over leveraged or we, uh, you know, some only bubble I see is a possible bond bubble. And that's not with borrowed money. Banks are very strong. And, you know, if they have negative interest rates, that might be a problem. And we'll get to that if that, if we have time today, but that's the only big problem we have. If the negative interest rates, continue to be like they are and it falls into more having a negative mortgage interest rate is not a good thing you might think it would be because for you you pay less and you don't have to pay all the money back but it's not a good economic thing i'll explain that why in a minute i'm steve peasley and you're listening to invest talk everybody so where do you want to go from here here comes another caller question this time they're asking about universal basic income so let's listen Hey, Stephen, Justin. Just had a question about what you guys felt about universal basic income, or UBI. I know it's not a realistic thing at the moment, but uh, there's a lot of talk going around in politics. And uh, just curious to see what you guys thought about it. If you think it's good for the economy, if it's something that does come to fruition in the near future, how should we be using those funds? Should we be rolling them into a 401k? Should we be obviously investing them, putting them away in savings? I know everyone's situation is going to be a little bit different. I'm just curious to see what you guys think about it. I think it's a really interesting topic, and uh, you know, could I understand both sides of the aisle when it comes to this uh, 
this debate or this question. So I was just curious to see what you guys thought. I'd love to hear your answer on the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Okay, universal basic income. What we're talking about is the government just pays you uh, income every month, no matter if you're working, not working, no matter what. Um, I, I just don't think conceptually how this fits in a free economic system because you're distorting it dramatically when you and we already do that you realize people get free income if they're if they're, you know in different forms you know you get your um, um, we have medicare medicare uh, social security we have uh, uh, food stamps and we have uh, unemployment benefits and things that pay you money but that's not what we're talking about here here we're talking about just you get a basic salary because you live you exist here here's some money now, the trick is here, where's that money going to come from? Some, from an economic point of view, that money has to come from excess, uh, excess productivity from somewhere. Somewhere, you know, of course, they could just print the money and hand it to you, but that is super inflationary. That's never worked ever in the history of man and any economic system. So um, they tried this in a communist system by... Here, here's money to live on. Here's instead of giving you a check, though, that they did is they gave you an apartment and they gave you food, and obviously that didn't work. But giving out cash, I mean, will it boost the economy? Well, initially it would, because they spend it, and that are we are we are um, driven by the, the consumer. But that money has to come from somewhere, and this is why I hit a brick wall how how does that work a given money away comes from somewhere so it has to come from taxes in a free economic system so now you're taxing the productive part of the economy to give money to a non-productive part or and productive part because everybody's supposed to get it right so if i'm making a million dollars do i get my universal income check of course, they're probably going to not want to give me the rich person that money, right? So they're taking it from the productive part of the economy and giving it to the non-productive part of the economy. But that money is being spent that will, will make the economy grow. It's, a, it's an issue that I wish I was smart enough to address. I am not. But I don't see from, from a, a free economic system point of view how that's going to work, how it could work. Because you're, you're just you're taking money, and I know people think, well, just take the money from the rich and give it to the poor. I wish it was that simple. It's not that simple. And I love it, but let's 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 take an example. Let's say you want to take the money from the rich. Okay, what money from rich? The super rich. Okay, let's do that. They don't have the money. They own companies. So you're going to take it from Amazon, the owner of Amazon. So what are you going to do? Take the money and sell his stock so you can give the cash because you need cash to give it to the poor. How do you think Amazon's going to do after that? See, I don't, I don't see how that works. I mean, tell me how it works structurally and, you know, we can talk about it. I just don't know. This is Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley, and we have one goal here, to help you achieve financial freedom. We really do. And we'll continue this, this goal. We'll continue this work to get to this goal. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART.
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 CHART, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99 chart. We'll go to Will in the Bay Area. Hi, Will. How you doing? Hey, okay. Uh, I just wanted uh, to get some insight, more insight, I guess. I kind of think I know what happens. But with when when the market goes down, yes. what is that mechanism? How does it really work? Yeah. No, I what, had where this is the money going? Say, for instance, I know where it goes for those who get out. They have it. Uh-huh. Uh, but they also lose a penny or two. And, but say, for instance, someone stays in, what happens to their money? Is that just a discounted thing, or how does that work? Okay. Let's say you own a stock, uh, and that's what we're talking about, right, Will? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. stock is at $30 a share. Mm-hmm. And the stock goes down in price. It goes down to $20 a share. Where did that $10 go? Is that what your question is? Yeah, and what causes it? It's very simple. Let's say I own a share of stock and you want to buy it. Mm-hmm. I paid $20 a share for this stock and you said, I want to buy it, but I'm only going to give you $19 a share. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to sell it to you for that. I want 20 or 21 You say, mm-hmm. no, you're going to pay me 19 And I then get nervous and get desperate and I sell it to you for $19 a share. Mm-hmm. That $1 disappeared. It vanishes. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Right. It, it doesn't go into anybody's pocket. It's just it's gone. That's what I thought. Yeah, it just disappeared. It's gone. So if the whole right. market goes down 20%, mm-hmm. that money just vanishes. Right. And it's based on, that's what I thought, it's based on that dollar per dollar discount, either by leaving or bidding. That's right. It, yeah. The market is just nothing but an auction area. Mm-hmm. This person mm-hmm. says, I'll bid this. This person says, I want that. And mm-hmm. they come to an agreement or they don't. And the stocks mm-hmm. go up and down based on mm-hmm. that. That's simple mm-hmm. as that. So, yeah, and if I had all the money and you just kept saying, well, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And I, exactly. Well, I eventually, I got to give you some. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. eventually, you'll say, you know what? Let's say I have that $20 stock. And the stock gives you 10% income in dividends a year. The stock keeps growing its earnings forever. Mm-hmm. That stock has a value, but what that value is is between you and I. Mm-hmm. You right. and I are deciding that. And you yeah. may decide, I'm not going to pay more than $10. Mm-hmm. And if I can't find anybody else and I need to sell it, that stock's mm-hmm. going to go down to $10 to sell it to mm-hmm. you. Right. Now, what if you just refuse to budge? If then, you're older, then that means you have a locked market and nothing gets sold and nothing gets bought. Right, yeah, and your stock will just sit there. Just sit there. That's it. Right, yeah. Okay. We'll and appreciate that's kind of what goes on with some stocks. That's exactly like. what does. Yeah. Very small stocks very much yeah. often just sit there. Good luck, Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So the Danish bank is offering mortgages with negative interest rates, a 10-year fixed rate uh, mortgage at minus a half a percent. So what that means is you borrow the money to buy your house, you still got to pay the money back, but you end up paying less than you borrowed. That's what that means. So how does this work? You still have to pay that mortgage, right? Um, but, you know, how does the bank make money? They're going to go into business if they lose money, right? I can't can't make money, but this also will affect savings rates. They're not going to pay any savings rates or, or any interest on savings or CDs. Matter of fact, you're going to have to pay them. That's how they have to make money. They're going to have to make money some way. You're going to have to pay them, to put money in their bank. 
What's that going to do? That's going to make you take more risk because you're not going to want to put money in the bank. You're going to try to put it somewhere else where you can make money, and that means more risk somewhere else. Does that mean more people go bankrupt or lose their money because they're taking much more risk when they really shouldn't be because they're that's not what they you know should do? Maybe they're older. Maybe they rely on this money. And maybe they need this money to give them income to live on, and they can't get it, so they move on to riskier things. That's going to cause real estate to go up, right? Because now you're going to buy higher, more property than you really need because you're paying less you can borrow and pay, don't pay it back. Not all of it, anyway. Does that mean we're going to produce bubbles? See, that's that's what I think it would do. It's not a smart thing to have negative interest rates. It's not a healthy thing to have a negative interest rates. Sure, it's okay for a short while, but, you know, there's no economic system that will flourish under that kind of scenario. It will not. So, that's what's going on. But you can get negative interest rates from Danish banks. Can't do it here in the United States. Not happening. Not yet. But it's possible. It's always possible. I mean, look, I told you. Look at our mortgage rates now. They're pretty 3.6% for a 30-year fixed mortgage. It's pretty low. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another Investop program, everybody. Good night, everybody. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.